0: Hey Seamsiders, you know I love the Backstitch episodes where we reconnect with an artist a year after our first interview and see what's evolved for them since the last time we talked. To date, I've gone back and talked to all the artists from season one, including Jennifer Mao, who's coming out later this week. But there's one person I never got the chance to follow up with. As you may have heard, the embroiderer Lou Gardner passed away a few days ago after a reoccurring bout with cancer. When we first talked in 2022, she spoke openly, but hopefully about her diagnosis, as you'll hear in the next few minutes. I'd like to offer a replay of this conversation with Lou as a way of holding space for such a radiant force of creative power. If it's true, that energy can never be truly lost then Lou, wherever you are. I hope you can hear this and feel all the love of people around the world. Thank you for leaving your joy and your work behind that will surely continue to do the good work as you intended. Let's listen now to the voice of a true cosmic phenomenon, Lou Gardner. Lou, thank you so much for joining me here this morning. Can you kind of paint the scene for us a little bit? Let folks know where you're sitting right now? Because from what I see is beautiful.
1: (laughs) I'm sitting in my well, in my flat in a town called a city called Bristol, which is the southwest of England. It's not too far from the bottom of Wales, and only about two hours from London, but it's um, it's a harbour town, and it's um, a very a very beautiful city, with and it's quite it's, it's famous for um, colourful houses above the harbour, um, Clifton Suspension Bridge, which was built by a man called Brunel in the eighteen hundreds, Banksy. The graffiti artist, um, just a random selection of things, what else? Hot air balloons and um, also Massive Attack, this sort of dub trip-hop band from the 1980s, 90s who helped form my musical brain. But other than that, I mean, if we, if we zoom in more, I'm in my lounge, which is now my studio. And it's very colourful and full of all my fabrics and bean bags and poofs and lots of uh, work in progress. I'm just looking around and, yeah, my great big notice board, photos of my, my um, family and a magic wand. <laughs>
0: One of the things I love about talking with artists and stepping inside their studios, whether that's in real life or, you know, via camera, is seeing how artists will often turn their space into their work. Yeah. And it becomes kind of a manifestation in a different way than the the the, the artwork, quote unquote. Yeah. You know. That you know, I make quilts yeah. for example, but if you're in my studio, you will see quilts, but you'll see a lot of other beautiful yeah. things as well. You'll see like family photos similar to you, you'll see a similar color palette. I'm looking behind you right now and I see the words cosmic phenomenon <laughs> in big capital letters. Yeah, I, yeah. I look forward to taking a deep dive with you into all of that over the course of our conversation. What have you brought to sew on while, while we're talking? Well,
1: David? you know what? I struggled a bit to think, because at the moment I'm actually working on a massive piece, which is in front of me, but I'm I'm hand painting that at the moment. So th- So I brought this. My my little um flying acorn and it's um basically my first ever compl- almost completed piece of hand embroidery stroke gold work embroidery. So through uh, through Instagram I um I I contacted a fantastic embroiderer or embroideress aressa um um called Anna She's, um, I follow her on Instagram, I think her surname's Middleton, Anna, Anna Middleton. Anyway, she came round and, um, cause I, I was a bit worried about my energy levels at this point in time um, because, um, well, I'll tell you why in a bit, I'm sure, but I wanted to do something that was productive yet peaceful and easy, not easy. In fact, it turned out to be bloody fiddly and difficult, but I wanted to do something therapeutic. And I wanted to start this campaign, which is called Stitch an Acorn. So I learned how to do some gold work. So this is a this is a little flying acorn. It's an acorn with two oak leaf wings, and um, it's done in appliqué, but with hand stitching, um, padding, beading, gold work. I'll send you a picture.
0: Yeah, and we'll post that picture on the web page for this. For this conversation so folks can brilliant take a look themselves
1: so i thought today because i've sort of finished it i thought i'd put some little um gold beads just around the edges of the of the of the wings like little like little bits of cosmic phenomenal
0: love dust because you know i'm just assuming you can never have enough gold beads on a piece like that <laughs> you
1: can never have right? enough anything
0: <laughs> it's never done it's never done more is more yeah well, I'm sitting here working on a new love, which I just discovered recently when I was taking a class with Cassie Dixon here in North Carolina, yeah. which is a form of backstrap weaving. And it's, I'm, I'm making tape or bands. People call them different things, but just very thin, see? You... Oh, I
1: thought that was part of your recording equipment. I thought you kind of decorated no. it.
0: So I just make these ornate little ribbons out of like, you know, it varies how many threads are in the warp, but eight to 16, somewhere in there. So they're pretty. So
1: you're just kind of threading threads, weaving threads together.
0: Oh yeah. There's a heddle and everything. So I'll sit here raising a shed and lowering a shed, opening and closing. The weavers out there will know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because I don't.
1: (laughs) No, I have no idea what you're talking about.
0: (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) I'm just doing it. All right. Well, Lou, let's, I would like to stick on this theme of the flying acorn, mm-hmm. if that's good with okay. you. Because I do, I feel like it's a rich place to start this conversation. Because you, 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 you've developed this symbol of an acorn that has two oak leaves that look like wings attached to this acorn. Yeah. Upward sweeping wings. Yeah. What is, why that symbol?
1: Well, I, well, it's got lots of reasons, actually. But to name three, I come from a farming background in Cheshire, which is in the northwest of England, and our family farm was was called, or it still is called, but we're no longer there, um, Oak Farm. And we had a huge oak tree in the garden, which, so the, the acorn and the oak tree and the oak leaves have always been very sort of special symbols to me of strength and home, and um, my client also, um, I've got a, a new client who I'm just about to do quite an ambitious project with. And his symbol for his estate, which is actually in Scotland, um, is the acorn and the flying acorn. So I've got the idea of the flying acorn from him. But most of all, the acorn is a symbol of hope and creativity and courage and tenacity and so in both those, his and mine instances, the acorn stands for these things, but in particular for this project, it stands for that because after what's been a very challenging couple of years for most of us, I think we're all looking deeper into ourselves for our creative soul purpose. And there's nothing more inspiring than a, a little acorn turning into a massive gargantuan beautiful oak.
0: Yeah, the last few years I've had, or I should say the last few falls I've had um, a, a habit of picking up the first acorn I see that drops from a tree and carrying it around in my pocket for many of those same reasons. The idea of like what what can grow out of the present moment that right now might be very small. Yeah, That's tiny, like you're into something big and beautiful. One of the things, I know this isn't your work necessarily, but I associate it with you because you told me about it. The artist who put the boat on... The wooden scaffold. Charlie. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's a beautiful image and a way to conceive oh, yeah. of time and our lifetime and our impact.
1: Charlie Paulson, he's a, he's a British artist. He lives up near my client in Scotland. Um, commissioned Charlie. Well, I think Charlie invented this amazingly magical idea of... I mean, I don't know massive details about the project. I just know what it means to me, really. Um They salvaged this boat called Girl Hannah. And Charlie had this idea of basically planting oak trees underneath the boat. So they built this huge oak structure, which sort of lifted the boat about 50 foot, maybe more, 75. I don't know. I'm not very good at at measurements and things. But anyway, they've lifted this boat like at at the top roof height of a three story building. (laughs) (laughs) and um, they've planted five or six oaks underneath the boat. So what's the most magical thing about his sculpture and this project is that you have to use your imagination to think about how it's going to look, and it's basically going to be this kind of weathered, slightly peely, beautiful old boat sailing across trees in the Scottish landscape, which just basically captures the heart and imagination doesn't it
0: we just gotta all come back in 100 years and take
1: exactly a what are you going to come back as though zach
0: oh i'm hoping like a little wren because that's what i've been enjoying <laughs> here recently i mean their song is so loud it's like it's almost obnoxious but it's also beautiful
1: oh they're, they're amazing know, aren't they
0: they are they are and they make me think of home they feel like they're welcoming me home so let's, let's circle back. So we've got the idea of the, the flying acorn, but it doesn't just end with the creation of this flying acorn, right? What's, what are you going to do with this piece for the larger project?
1: Like all acorns, it's just the beginning. Like most of my projects, it's got quite a few layers. First of all, I'm hoping, well, I'm not hoping, I am. I'm going to, I'm launching a campaign called Stitch an Acorn, based on my experiences of of two other projects, which both ended up as capes. And Stitch an Acorn is to sort of reach out to an international audience and get other people to stitch with me and to to create these beautiful beginnings, these little magical seeds full of hope and all of their stories and their letters and their poems and whatever else they want to share. And that will become an installation and um, whilst they're flying, being created, and then flying back to me here in the UK, um, I will be creating a magical cape which is based on the strength, tenacity, and beauty of Mother Nature. So I'm making a full length embroidered cape which will take me probably about 12 to 16 months,
0: probably. And will the acorns go on the cape?
1: So um, some of them will go on the cape, and then the rest I'm hoping to hang in their hoops all around the top of the cape. So almost making a, an oak tree out of the cape as the trunk, and then all the all the little acorns on their lovely silk organza hoops hanging around and catching the light and twirling in the in the breeze. And then hopefully letters and poems all around the edge of people's experience. It's really, it's ambitious, but I, I am ambitious. And I absolutely love doing projects that are, have an sort of an infinite nature.
0: Because it, it could expand beyond whatever you're currently conceiving of. You just never know when you start a project like that.
1: Oh my God, I'm such um I, I so believe in that. You just literally have to almost like give like give the acorn some wings and you never know what's going to
0: happen. Have you found, maybe this is a good point to think a little bit about your Stitch a Cloud project. Did it change with the involvement of the community anyway from your initial conception of it? Did the involvement of other folks open up new ideas for you or kind of lead you down a certain path that you hadn't expected to go down?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the whole scale of it was was such a surprise. I think what what it taught me is the energy and the love that you can ask for, if you know, if you want it. You just have to ask.
0: It's a real thing.
1: Yeah. And it was, you know, it was literally pouring through my letterbox. And I was, you know, I was making this, I was making this cape, I was, you know, I, I'm I'm a bit a bit of an all or nothing person and I was, you know, living, breathing, working in the same space. And I, you know, I had about twelve months to make this cape and next thing I know I've got twenty six envelopes coming through my door, you know, on one day and they just kept pouring in. It was done in the year of a hundred years vote for women in, in the UK. So it was celebrating the feminine. And um people had a lot to say. And I think this is really important at the moment because I think we're losing our voice in some respects. And I think that art and creativity is a language, you know, it it enables people to speak more freely about the way they're feeling.
0: Yeah, because we can't always put words to how we're feeling or even words to what we're thinking. But there are ways in which images can offer the fullness without having to belabor it and try to force it into something that it's not.
1: Yeah, and also there's something as I'm sure you you experience a lot is that there's something very powerful about something that begins off very quietly, and I think that for me the creative arts, especially embroidery, they can they can be very communal, community based projects, but they're also um, they're very therapeutic and healing, and they can but they can really pack a powerful punch. You know, they can be political. And I think this is, it's enabling people to have that strength of voice, but in a very quiet and powerful way. I love the fact you're taking notes, it makes me feel good.
0: <laughs> you just, you're giving me all these thoughts and I want to make sure that we, we can, that we touch on them because there's so much there. You know, I think that I'm seeing that a lot reflected my own life with the Sack of Sorrows project that I initiated. And similar to you and your cape idea. It was just like, I was laying in bed one night and like, wouldn't that be a fun project? And the next day it was oh I had launched. a
1: look at that. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank
0: you, thank really you. Really lovely. Yeah, so I created this hand-sewn, hand-applicade, hand-embroidered mail sack, essentially, and invited people to write down their sorrows and their grief and mail it to me. <gasps> And I, I don't open the letters. I don't read the letters. I do not, that's, that's their private business. But those letters are held communally in the sack for season till yeah. it fills up. And then once it does fill up and we got to make more room for more sorrows, we'll have a, a ritual burning ceremony to release <gasps> and all of that I love a together. bit of fire. Yeah, yeah, bonfire, yeah. let's go.
1: I'm always into a good burn of things, sending things out there.
0: Is that the origin of the word bonfire? Good fire? Mm-hmm. Could it be?
1: Well, let's just say it is.
0: I like it. It's going to work for our purposes. <laughs> that's great. It's going to work for our purposes. Yeah. I also love that you brought up the idea of sturdiness and durability in what you're working on in this project. Because I just had a conversation in the previous episode of Seamside with a quil- an art historian who is also a quilter, Jess Bailey. And she's in London, so not too far from you. And yeah. she was talking about how so often we look at the textile arts and she's talking about quilts in particular. And she says, we often describe their, their, their primary trait quality as softness. And she says that word never set really well with her. She says, you know, I don't want to think of my quilts as soft. I want to think of them as sturdy, that my quilts are something that I create that endure beyond me. And I love the idea. But in their softness. In their softness. Yeah.
1: Softness is such an important thing. You know, the world needs so much more softness. I mean, you only have to look around. And it and it is there, but, you know, we need to recognise it as a really good trait. You know, we've, we, there's no denying the fact that we live in quite a patriarchal society, and that's nobody's fault. But it's, you know, it's something that's happened over time, and we need to embrace more softness. You know, I think people need to nurture that sense of the feminine. And I don't mean that it's anti-masculine, by no means. It's actually, you know, it's you know yin and yang, things working in harmony, isn't it? And nature shows us that, you know, it shows us hardness and softness at the same time.
0: And you do need both, because I feel that when you see someone who is hard on others, or when you see countries that are hard on others, when you see societies that are hard on others, those, yeah. those people are also hard on themselves and that's a tough place to be because we all need to handle ourselves with a little bit more softness and gentleness because we're going to mess yeah. up. We're going to flub up, but it's how we bounce back that's and how we make change. room for ourselves. Act- so That, again. that is, is how we act. We're all going to mess up. Yeah, but it's how we bounce back from those mistakes and those mm, deviations that grow that we grow exactly mm-hmm. we can we can't we can't stay hard we can't stay rigid because the world's going to throw something new in our path we know that as uh, as an international community and we know that on a personal level too you you can plan a day but that doesn't mean that's how that day is going to unfold and you need a certain degree of softness to be resilient
1: so there's a wonderful quote that i used to have stuck to my wardrobe and it's um says be soft Do not let the world make you hard. Do not let pain make you hate. Do not let the bitterness steal your sweetness. Take pride that even though the rest of the world may disagree, you still believe it to be a beautiful place. That's by Kurt Vonnegut.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the world's a beautiful place. I had a dream a couple nights ago, Lou, where I was walking through... The campus here at the Folk School is this beautiful wooded campus, you know, century-old buildings. And it was the same exact world. It was the same exact place. But all the colors were just a little bit heightened. Like, you know, mm-hmm. some might describe it as like the mushroom trip effect or something. You know, it's I was going like... to
1: say, you hadn't been drinking mushroom tea, had you?
0: No, <laughs> not that day. <laughs> and, but it, it was a moment of walking around in my dream, looking at this place the way it could be you know, in the way that it is, and the way that we don't always observe.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's a lovely dream. You treasure dreams like that, really. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So why capes, Lou? Why are you you getting in on capes? (laughs) I don't know anybody else making capes.
1: No, it's really weird. Well, it started because I was commissioned by um, a British company to make an artwork to celebrate womankind. And I sort of scratched my head for a few months, and I thought I can't really just make a wall based piece that something the project was all about celebrating womankind and the feminine and and it just seemed a bit daft to kind of choose a figurative image and because I had done a lot of figurative work until that point, but I, I couldn't do anything that was universal enough, so I eventually thought, you know could this be something else I went up to see my mum and dad in Cheshire, who, I mean, this is what, 2017, so it's five years ago. They're both in their late 70s. And there was the first ever female superhero film, Wonder Woman, on at the cinema. And it was really naff and ridiculous, but I loved it. I mean, I, I, I just loved the ridiculousness of it and the fact that it was finally a superhero film with a woman um, as, the, as, the, as the hero heroine, hero, I don't know what you say these days, it's, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure, the fact that she sort of jumped out of, weirdly, out of World tour, World War II trenches, you know, and then sort of swept her hair to one side and had f- a full face of perfect makeup, <laughs> was a bit disappointing, but it kind of, you know, sat between my mum and dad and we were both kind of raising our arm like a, you know, punch, fist bumping the air and going, woohoo! And um, I just thought, oh my God, I'm going to make a cape. I'm going to make something that celebrates people. I want to wrap them up and celebrate them and protect them and nurture them and surround them in love. So I just went to this this um, company and I just said, how about I make a superhero cape for women to celebrate women? And that's how it started.
0: Well, and I heard you say in an interview at some point too that... One of the things this cape does is it turns the wear into the artwork. I don't know if I'm quoting you exactly, but is that the idea?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you've done your homework. (laughs) I was really
0: looking forward to this conversation. I've been getting ready.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's so nice.
0: So I have made one cape in my day as well. I've made it in the last year. And it was, I was doing for a long time a daily mandala drawing practice. Ah, I've had I mean for a decade I've had like a daily journaling practice and so I just lumped in a mandala drawing practice towards the end after several months of drawing a daily mandala I decided I want to turn into a textile piece into a quilt I think being informed by all the circles I had been drawing I was like I'll make a circular quilt which I'd never Ah. done before. And then from there, I was like, well, what if I could wear it? And so I got a hole in the middle of it for my head. It's just like a giant poncho, it, basically. Yeah. You know, imagine like a giant fabric donut. You, I, just, I so know what you mean. <laughs> but what I love about it is, so for that project for me is, it's kind of like my personal mythology, my personal narrative, right? That yeah. through the exploration of the mandala and the work that I've been doing, um, one of the ways I see myself as kind of like the, the keeper of the lighthouse, you know and not the yeah. only keeper of the only lighthouse there there are many of us out there doing the same work but i have a little yeah. lighthouse that i tend to and i'm just spreading that light out into the world and helping people find yeah. a way you know yeah. that's how i see myself at least and so the this mandala cape is that lighthouse is that light yeah. spreading out and the joy going a
1: big smile is the, is the light
0: at the yeah, top. yeah and so when when you put it on it literally puts you in the center puts me in the center of that universe Right? it yeah. puts it puts my head at what would be the 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 light of the lighthouse and so it becomes yes. interactive in that way positional geographic in that way
1: yeah and sort of then um, ceremonial, which is so important at the moment, get back to ceremony and the simple acts that can ground you and connect you
0: for so many reasons um, some of the reasons would be that. In a lot of ways, we don't have a common set of traditions anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in multicultural societies. Certain traditions are just kind of fallen by the wayside that used to provide for us. A lot of structure Mm -hmm. and comfort and support Mm -hmm. gave us a sense of a roadmap of moving through life. And so we need, I feel like the artist, one of our roles in the society is to help people see a new roadmap. And if somebody sees my work and they don't like that roadmap, well, then that roadmap's not for them. But if they do see what I'm doing and it resonates something in them, well, then let's walk down that road together. Absolutely.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, yeah, it's about having the courage to to stick to your, with your belief system. Because, yeah, i got them all full of the quotes today. But there's another quote where um, he who does not howl will not found, find his pack. I love it. And it's, um, I love that quote because it's like, you know, imagine this wolf. You know, you can imagine a wolf that never howled. What a waste of a wolf
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lou, I think the neighborhood coyotes knew that we were going to be talking today and that you were going to say that because I haven't heard them howl at night in a, weeks, and I heard one lone coyote last night oh
1: did you howl back?
0: Well, I was in my bed.
1: Oh, howl anyway <laughs> <laughs> They must have really good hearing, so just have a little howl in bed. <laughs>
0: There you go. I will next time. Well, next I time you next wear time. your
1: lovely cape, you could, you could howl in your cape.
0: Yeah, but I love that idea that they who do not howl will never yeah. find their
1: cape. Um it's, um it's by, oh gosh, I can't remember. But we'll have to add it to the information for the...
0: We will, we will. So, Lou, one of the things you're, you share a lot about online is your... Recent cancer diagnosis. You had just started the the first Cape project with your yes. client, and in the middle of that project, you got you found out you yes, have cancer. I did. Is that something you could share some more with us? How that affected the project? How that affected your creative path? How that affected you? Whichever direction.
1: Wow. Like well, to it's go. obviously a big subject. <laughs> yeah. The big C is yeah. a big subject. But um, yeah, I mean. I'd been, through a, I'd been through a particularly tumultuous and busy time of my life, leaving our family farm, where we'd been farming for five generations. As my dad um, was very poorly, well, he has had Parkinson's for about 22 years. And um, eventually we decided to leave and it was a massive thing. And I, my client contacted me about the same time as we were kind of packing up. And sorting things out, like 150 years of history. I went to meet this new client, um, Hugo, and just we basically, yeah, it was a bit like meeting you, you know, it's just lovely, easy chemistry and like a creative cauldron of magic began. And I showed him my work. I mean, he'd obviously already been looking at my work, and that's why he contacted me. But he wanted me to do a, a commission. And I, I happened to have the capes at the time, so I drove up and showed him the cape, the two capes, the cloud cape and the cape of empowerment. And um, he fell in love with the cape of empowerment, well, with both of them, really, because when we dressed, when I dressed people in them, he just saw the the amazing effect that these capes had on people. And he's an amazing uh, philanthropist and collector and creator and supporter of the arts. And so he said, you know, Lou, do you fancy making another cape? And I was kind of like, oh, my God, you're joking. But I sort of knew that I'd make another cape at some point. We talked a lot about it and got very excited about the project and I wrote a campaign and we were all set to go on creating a cape that celebrated creative purpose. It was at the very beginning of lockdown here in the UK and my dad was in hospital and he was very ill with COVID and I went up to help support my mum and I was getting some quite serious pains. And it turned out about two or three months later that I had a tumour um, and I, that I had cancer, which was absolutely life-changing, bonkers, surreal, you know, crazy, crazy sort of thing to, to happen. I suddenly got plonked into the first carriage of the most unbelievable, crazy roller coaster ride of my life. My creativity had to turn inwards very quickly. I basically just spent the next year surviving, because I was given a very serious prognosis of only about, you know, a few months, six months to live. So it was pretty, pretty wild looking back. But I'm still here. (laughs) And I'm well. But obviously, there's a huge story there. But the, the project was put yeah. on one side and my fantastic.
0: Lou, yes. can, can I interrupt for just a second? So when you say that you had to turn your creativity inward, do you mean focusing your what the energy that you would have used in your art to just the energy of keeping your body
1: alive? Yeah, more or less. I uh, had grade four ovarian cancer and it was growing all over my body and um, it was very serious. And um, I remember asking an oncologist at one of the hospitals, I'd basically been told there was nothing they could do except throw a load more chemo at me, which was making me very ill and thin and I was contemplating not going ahead with the chemotherapy and I had this huge belief inside that it wasn't my time and that I had, some, I had some important work to do, which sounds a little self-important, but when you're that poorly, you really need that self-belief. I was determined to uh, survive the journey, so I, yeah, I pulled all my resources, all my friends and family, and I used my creativity in new ways of reaching out. I mean, I had no energy, you know i was I was really poorly i was i I had some some really serious symptoms, so my beautiful family and friends stood by me in various ways and I, I I used creative ideas to pull them in as well. My client Hugo stood by me throughout the whole of this period of time this this part of the journey and i I said if there's one last thing I'm going to do on this planet, it's creating this cape.
0: During this time, were you working on any small projects? Were you, was that something you wanted? Was that something that felt appropriate for this point? I don't, I don't know how to phrase the question.
1: I think you phrased it beautifully. I mean, I, I, but, I, but no, I, I, was, I was in too much pain. I was, um, I couldn't sit still. I was in so much pain. So I asked other people to be creative. And I asked people to write me letters. I asked my friends, oh, I tell you what I did. I've just, of course. <laughs> I started up, um an Instagram account called uh, Luby G's Healing Journey. And I started to do a, a, like a video diary. But sometimes I would dress up and dance or i would do impressions of some of the people i met along my journey and i would you know talk very deeply about my experience yeah just just basically through communication that's how i got creative and my stitch took a took a, a backseat but i needed a rest from it i'd had a crazy few years creatively and uh you know i was actually very ready to put my sewing machine to one side because You know, it it had worn me out. But then slowly, I started to draw again. So I've got some amazing sketchbooks full of drawings of nature. And so I went out and just found twigs or um, bits of lichen or uh, turkey tail mushroom or brittle leaves. And I just started drawing from nature and going out in nature and making little films and painting and using my hands... I've always loved drawing. It brought me right back to where I first started with my creativity, which was passion and a love for drawing. And I also believed that through Mother Nature and through studying Mother Nature, that it would give me this this natural inner power. You know, it would give me a connection to my cells and to my cancer. And I started talking and speaking and communicating with my cancer through drawing.
0: Yeah, pretty deep, man. Can you say a little bit more about what that looks like to, to address your cancer through drawing?
1: There's a, quite a common language when people talk about cancer as a battle, as a fight, you know, as, as an evil thing, you know, you're going to kick its ass and you're going you're to beat this bastard and, you know, and all of this. And that didn't appeal to me at all. I thought this is, I have to take ownership of this, you know, this is my cancer. And if it's part of me, then I must love it.
0: That sounds pretty radical, Lou.
1: Yeah, I know. I became pretty radical. I had to become radical. I looked pretty radical. I had no hair, you know. I even started sort of dancing to punk and stuff, you know, and kind of like just finding... I was finding my voice again. Um, I was determined to find maybe emotions and feelings and parts of myself that I'd squashed for too long and that included my my voice and my anger and my my feelings about where we are with the planet and so it seemed natural to me and I felt that I had something to say about the natural environment and what we're doing to it as a human race you know in in some ways a little bit like a cancer i practice practiced Qigong and it's a very simple movement, sort of energy flow um, practice. And even when I was you know, in the acute ward, I was getting out of my bed and just practicing very simple energy movements. And I, I actually felt that I um, met with my cancer. And I sort of said hi to her and uh, walked in her and visualized her. And I realised that she was there to guide me and teach me and show me the way rather than someone that I had to start this fight. You know, it is quite radical. It's very personal. I can't talk for other people and their own cancer journeys. You know, some people might think I sound absolutely bloody mad. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it's my journey. And, you know, it... By finding my voice and my strength and my individuality and using the skills as an artist that I had nurtured all this time, I then began to find this voice, this strength and this power and I believed that if I carried on doing that through creativity, through communication, through music, through walking in nature, that I would be able to heal and that my body wanted to heal.
0: Would you add to that list softness, going back to what we were talking to a few, talking about a few minutes ago, the idea that there's a lot of confrontational antagonistic energy in the world we live in, but that that sets up a fight Absolutely. versus the idea of maybe engagement being the, the counterpoint to antagonism, right? You, it sounds like you engaged with your cancer very fully, but not in a way that framed it as a battle.
1: Well, I mean, softness, you know, what's the the softest form of communication is listening. So I just listened. (laughs) It's been a very moving journey.
0: And you're still here. Yep. (laughs) Lou, I'm taking a look at the time. (gasps) And I want to be respectful of your time. So how would you like to wrap up this conversation?
1: Well, I think we could talk about, um, I mean, that was the first six months of last year where basically everyone thought I was going to be leaving the planet. And the love and creative energy that I found through my audience and through my friends and through my clients and my family, you know, that, reminded me of who i was as an artist and so that very slowly started to re-empower me i went up to scotland to kick because i was i was basically having a creative block because i think the post-traumatic stress of having been so well and having been through some crazy experiences gave me the worst creative block so i had to find a way to get through that
0: and so you were drawn up to marchmont house in scotland in edinburgh yeah
1: so my client lives about 40 miles south of edinburgh he's become a very good friend and i've been up there at different points in my journey and not just hugo but the people there the staff there and the other artists that work there you know always welcome me and spoil me and look after. you know the they leave me to they leave me be, but they, you know, they know that I'm on this sort of what would you call it? This kind of soul searching, healing mission at the moment. My cancer journey was long and arduous. I started working again probably about six months into the trial. I mean I was, you know, literally at the point when I was meant to die, I started doing big projects and I even signed myself up to Chelsea Flower Show in London, which is quite a famous show. And I'd booked it, not knowing whether I was going to be dead or alive. (laughs) And I thought, even if I don't do it, then, you know, I've just got to book it and do it. So I went to to London and my partner, Ben, who's a stonemason, he's very creative. And he helped me build the most fantastic stand, which was the most colourful, velvet-covered expression of joie de vivre and life. I was awarded five gold stars at Chelsea. woo
0: <laughs> Can you give us a picture of that so I can, I can post it with this conversation? Yeah. I'd love to see
1: it. Yeah, yeah. of course. And that was like, um, you know, there's so much to talk about, Zach. But I think in a nutshell, it was my way of saying you can do anything you know if you really put your mind to it and if you believe in creativity you know creativity is such a great healer and then in January this year I thought I really need to start getting on with this project because you know Hugo's a very patient man but I felt that I would lose those lovely tendrils of magic if I didn't start to feed that project and So I'd zoomed up, I'd started driving again, and I I zoomed up to Scotland and um, decided to take a month out of my life to design this cape on the back of all the drawings that I'd started to do in my sketchbook of nature and twigs and leaves. And I was in this turret. Uh, I called it the Tower of Creative Power. You know, they basically set me up with this wonderful little studio and a log burner and I kind of went in every day and I banged my head against the wall every day. And then I'd go on walks and look at trees that had been blown down by a recent storm and related to that and thought, what have I got to say? What have I what do I really want to say to this world? What do you know? What is this about? Why am I an artist? Why am I still here to make this project? What's important? And slowly but surely. The lights started to shine through the cracks, and I started to draw the design for the cape, and and also have time to digest and um, imagine how the Flying Acorn campaign could help other people, and hope to connect with other people who are also on healing journeys from you know COVID or cancer or whatever, you know domestic abuse. Um, whatever it doesn't matter we're all healing in some way so it's a case of you know reaching out again to others and um, joining hands with the community
0: so what would you say Lou and and this might you might largely just answered it but I want to make sure that there's there's space in this conversation for it so what would you say that your life in the last few years with cancer with going up to Marchmont house recently and being able to take time to do that What has this shown you about the role of the artist as you see it in your own life?
1: Oh, my God. You know, it's crazy because obviously there's so many different forms of artists, so many different kinds of art, not just in the world and the universe, but in one person. You know, I've got my I've got my clown. I've got my public speaking lady and I've got my teacher and I've got my punk dancer who likes to wear spandex suits, I've got my embroiderer, I've got my painter, I've got my drawing you know, there's so many different things, so many different aspects to my personality and I think that it's A, so important for people to really get to know themselves get to know their artist because I don't care what Anyone says, everyone has an artist inside. Everybody. And we have had it drummed into us that we are not creative by, you know, a a society that is possibly, you know, gets frightened of the power of the creative. Um, You know, it's, it's an unbelievably essential part of our world. I mean, can you imagine the world without creativity? It wouldn't be worth. It wouldn't be worth staying alive for. You know, it's 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 where the magic lies in life, and it's the way p- people can really communicate with their hearts and souls.
0: Lou, one of the things I think I'll take away from our conversation today is that when you say creativity, you're not limiting. Creativity to the studio, but you are also sharing about the creativity of living a full and rich life, a creative, creative life of healing, so creative life of keeping your loved ones around you.
1: I just think you know we need to maybe redefine the word creativity. I mean, I haven't looked in the dictionary for a long time at what what it, what they, what the definition of creativity is, but you know, really, it's the the magic. It's the it's the sparkle. It's just about love and creativity. Is everything love is, isn't it? It connects us. It's like the mycelium under our under the ground.
0: Lou, you are a cosmic phenomenon. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting here and sewing me. Did you get any gold beads sewn on? Because you've been looking at me in the eyes the whole time. I don't think you've been sewing.
1: <laughs> I can't. I... <laughs> I can't talk to you and not look at your lovely face. I've got to. You know, Y'all, I mean, she's being
0: way too kind. It's first thing yeah. in the morning here. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I mean, you know, I, I I've sewn two beads on this. And I sound a bit, you know, a bit slick and charming saying that. What I mean is, you know, when you're when I'm communicating with someone, I just that's that's what i'm doing right now whatever i'm doing i'm doing it right now and i don't want to mix it up with anything else and your questions have been really beautiful and challenging but i hope that we've sort of we've skimmed the surface of what is a very deep and creative you know subject i hope it's i hope it's inspired people
0: i hope so too and i'm hoping that like the little acorn this is just the beginning of a long and beautiful connection between you and me
1: amazing yes I'd love, that. and all the listeners out there so i mean you know there is an opportunity you know to get involved in this project stitch and acorn it's only just beginning i mean you know everyone will have to forgive me but i'm ambitious in my head but when it comes to actually planning and doing and getting things out there it takes me longer than it used to but I do get there in the end and I'm doing call outs for people to get involved and stitch their, an acorn for this campaign. But also just to, you know, just to keep on being creative themselves. That's the best thing you can do and it's the best way you can communicate with others.
0: Keeps us alive and keeps us lively. Yeah, absolutely. We'll share more information about how people can connect with Stitch and Acorn with the show notes here in the podcast so folks can connect that way lou thank you so much
1: thank you so much zach it's been really nice to meet you it's been a nice um interlude into the solitary confinement of making a new piece of work
0: If you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did, I'm wondering if you'll rate and review this show so other people can find Seamside and learn more about the inner work of fabric. I'd really appreciate it. And you might also be interested in checking out the zine that I make after these conversations. I sit and ruminate and reflect about different things that came up, put them into this cute little printable foldable zine. You can stick it in your back pocket and take it anywhere. So there's a link for that in the show notes if you like And as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate your time. You know we'll be sitting and sewing again before too long here on Seamside. Take care. Sew something good.